0: Lord bless you and keep you this morning. Please turn to your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 17 to 24. Again, the reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. When you have that, please do stand for the reading of God's Word. Hear ye this morning the word of the Lord. Benevolent Father, we do come before you, asking that you remove every hindrance from our heart and from our mind, and give us the capacity, even this morning, to comprehend the length, the breadth, and the height of your love for us, the truth that is in your word, to edify us and encourage us. But Lord, may you also help us to receive truths that are difficult to understand, and maybe truths that are difficult to accept that we would do so bringing every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ. And Lord, that you would help us to see the glory that is the new self created after the image of Christ and his holiness. May we see and behold with eyes of faith this morning the beauty and splendor of Jesus Christ. In his name we do pray, amen. Today's focus is gonna be on the beauty of, And the power of the new creation. The Bible teaches us that we as human beings, born as sons and daughters of Adam, are under a curse. And the curse is the curse of sin. And the Bible teaches that God in the fullness of time sent forth his son, born of the virgin, to live a holy, perfect, blameless life, died a death, a cruel death, next to two criminals, was buried in a tomb, and on the third day he was raised again to glory. He is now ascended and is seated at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us even now. And the good news is that through faith in him, the one whom God has provided as a ransom for our sins, the second Adam, there is a means by which we can escape the due penalty of our sin, the penalty of the curse of Adam, and have eternal life. This is the good news and the gospel. Much of what we have learned about so far in Ephesians chapter 2 centers on the multifaceted beauty and power of God's gospel, his good news for you and for me. And in chapter 2 of Ephesians, we learn that it is by grace we've been saved and it is by faith. It is not owing to us. It is not a work that we can achieve or can earn or can we can bring to God and say, God, look at all the wonderful things that I've done, all the wonderful works that I can present to you. Therefore, now it is due to me, it is now owed to me that you save me. That indeed is not the gospel that we find in blessed Holy Scripture, but instead what we find is that in Ephesians 2, 1, you were dead in trespasses and sins in the way that you used to walk according to the prince of the power of the air. But God, being rich in mercy, has made us alive in Christ and he has raised us with Christ in heavenly places. This is good news. God saved you, not by any merit, not by any work that you can do, but by his mercy and his great love and affection towards us. But there is, however, a way in which we are to walk as new creatures, as being born again members of the new household and family of God. Again, much of Paul's attention in chapter 2 of Ephesians is focused on God's plan of salvation, focused and centered on Jesus Christ. That is, again, by grace through faith that we are saved, not by any work, but the new life, however, is accompanied by a forsaking of the corruption that we've been delivered from. Know this, dear brother and sister, that in Christ you and I have been delivered from such a great fall, the fall of Adam and the fall of our own personal and total depravity. And yet, from that deliverance, God expects, desires, and also empowers us to live differently. You see, when you look at the Christian and you look at the one who is not a Christian, There ought to be a difference in the way the Christian lives. For God has called us out of the paganism of the world, the paganism of the the culture, and of the religions of of the nations. And he has delivered us into his kingdom, the kingdom of his beloved son. It is said in Colossians chapter 1 that God delivered us, he transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. But brothers and sisters, look what Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 says, and the Apostle Paul says and testifies this in the Lord. He says that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. If you're following along in today's teaching and in the insert, Paul testifies that we must no longer walk in the futility of our darkened minds. I love this imagery that scripture conjures up time and time again. Last week, we were in Psalm 23, taking a detour from our teaching in Ephesians 4, and we learned how we are to walk with our God, who is our shepherd, who leads us beside still waters, who leads us in the paths of righteousness for his own namesake. And there's now another imagery of walking, but no longer in the futility of our minds, but rather walking according to the power and principles of the gospel. This is the power of the new life, is to walk differently, to be different, to be different in the inner working of your mind and of your heart that you have been delivered as new creations of Christ Jesus. Therefore it says... Paul testifies, he's putting a double emphasis, he says, I say and testify in the Lord. He wants you to get this point clear. Though you've been saved by grace through faith, though you are a new creation in Christ, not merited by any work that you have done, yet there is a new standard by which you are to live and walk. It is similar to to saying to someone who is now a married man or a married woman, there is now a different expectation of life for you. No longer are you single. No longer can you do the things that you once did in singlehood, but now you've been called to covenant relationship with one person for all of life. And there is a difference between the life of a single person and the life of one who is married and dedicated in their marriage. So is true for the Christian. There is a difference between he who is in Christ and he who is not in Christ. There's a difference between he who has made a covenant with God and his relationship with God and those who are not but are alienated. There is a difference in the way that we walk and do life. Therefore, again, the double emphasis from the Apostle Paul, he says and testifies in the Lord, this is authoritative from God himself, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. What an interesting phrase Paul uses by saying no longer as the Gentiles do because he is speaking to the church in Ephesus made up of mostly Gentile believers. And he's telling the Gentile believers in Ephesus not to walk as they once walked. Not to do life the way they once did life. Not to walk in the futility of their darkened hearts and minds. Therefore, Paul makes clear that grace is not the absence, but the power of a walk of a new way of life. The Christian must completely abandon his old way of living. And how we walk as Christians, how we do life, it matters. It has huge implications for our witness, for our testimony, and for the glory that awaits us in heaven. For by grace you've been saved. We're not saying that you're, you can earn uh, your way to heaven, but instead that as children of God, we all have the same destination, which is upward, heavenward call in Christ Jesus. Yet, the way that we live matters because there's a crown that awaits for us on the other side of glory. And that crown, much of it is determined by the works and by the life that you lead as a Christian. Not on to salvation, but on to glory. for the Bible says in First Corinthians chapter 2, that there is a, in chapter 3, there is a judgment that is for the believer. And that believer will be judged according to his works. And the quality of crown glory that you receive is determined upon what you do in this life for the glory and the cause of God's kingdom in Christ. Therefore, again, Paul makes clear that grace is what empowers us to walk in the newness of life we must abandon completely the old way of living the old way of behaving the gentile way how we walk matters and it speaks of the condition of the heart in the light or darkness of the mind you see mankind again is in a state of rebellion It walks in the futility the word futility in the greek means depravity which means to be devoid of truth or appropriateness. And the Bible says that in verse 17, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility, the depravity of their minds. Again, speaking mostly to Gentile Christians, he tells them not to walk as Gentiles do, for they are now members of the Israel of God. No longer alienated or foreigners, but now they are now sons of, of promise, sons of faith, sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not by blood, but by a promise, by the inheritance that comes through faith in Jesus. You see, the believer is truly a new creation. Though you may come from a Gentile family, those who put their faith in Jesus have indeed by faith the blood of Emmanuel flowing through their veins. You have been purchased. You have been made into a new holy Race of people of all tribes nation and tongues what a beautiful magnificent promise we get to walk in that we're no longer alienate we're no longer foreigners but we have now come to the israel of god and that's our promise for you and for me this is why paul tells the church not to walk as gentiles though they are gentiles but truly they are not they are the israel of god Verse 18, Paul says the following. They are darkened, referring to the Gentiles and to those who are Gentiles in spirit as well. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. Due to the hardness of heart. And it goes on to say in verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. If you're following along in the teaching, mankind is alienated from God due to their ignorance. In Adam, there is an ignorance that is yours. Ignorance to the things that are of God, the ignorance to the things that are true, righteous and holy and beautiful. Isn't it true that before Christ, you took pleasure in things that really, when you look back at it now, you wonder what was the appeal? What was the what was the loveliness of that? You may have, before Christ, you may have found things to be lovely, you find them no longer to be so. You may have found things to be right in your own eyes prior to Christ, but now you know that it is not so. In Christ there is a shift between what you once thought was lovely and beautiful, and that which Christ has ordained as lovely and beautiful. There's an ignorance to the human, to the human experience who is alienated from God. And it's also because of the hardness, once you write that in there as well, ignorance and hardness, which originate in their heart. It originates in the heart. I want you, if you can, turn to Matthew chapter 15. And listen to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Christ brings attention to the heart of the problem, which is the problem of the heart. He says in verse 18 of Matthew 15, verse 18 says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, Theft, false witness, slander, these are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands is not to anyone. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. You and I, brothers and sisters, have been delivered from the old heart into the new one. God has changed your state from being a son of Adam to a son of God. It is through faith in Jesus Christ that this is accomplished. And yet still, as fallen humans, as still sons and daughters of Adam, we contend with this old heart. And we wonder why, as Christians, why do we still fall prey to sin, to sexual immorality, to adultery, to all types of wickedness? Why do we fall prey to these things that are not of God? And the answer is simple. We must remember as Christians to continue to put off the old self, the old practices. To remember that you're no longer a Gentile alienated from God, but you have now been brought near through faith in Jesus Christ. You have been made an heir of promise by faith. It is often when we forget who we truly are in Christ that we fall prey to who we once were in the world. We must continue to admonish ourselves, preach these truths to ourselves, to remember that we are not who we used to be. We are not who we used to be. God has changed us. He's given us a new heart, a heart that can desire him, a heart that can go after him, a heart that wants to be aligned to him. But still, out of that vestige of the old heart still comes all types of sins, trials, tribulations, even temptations which is why again we must realize the truth of our condition that we are still in total utter need of christ daily you see when we become a christian we don't just confess jesus one time a long time ago but we have to continue to walk in him being established rooted in him we don't make the decision just one time to follow jesus every morning that you wake With breath in your lungs, may you say, I choose to follow Jesus. I choose to follow him. And I choose to follow him because he has chosen me as his child, as his inheritance, as his promise. Remember what God has delivered you from. If you can, please turn to Romans chapter 1. As we see a lot of similarities between what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4 And what he also writes in Romans, the first chapter. Many of you are familiar with this text of scripture. But there are some things I'd like to bring your attention to in the context of today's teaching. Starting in verse 20 and 21, notice what it says. For his, that's God's. Invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without what? Excuse. Without excuse. Brethren, the world, though darkened in their ignorance, darkened in their heart, truly are without excuse excuse. Why? Because verse 20 tells us his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Just as you look into the world and you see buildings and houses, you can rightly deduce that there was a builder. But the Bible says that he who built all things is God. There is one who made all things from whom you have received your name and your lineage. And because of this truth of creation, that there's a creation, therefore there's a creator, men are without excuse. Verse 21 says, for although they knew God, there's a general revelation of God that all men, women, and children can come to. It says, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile. There's that word again. Futile in their thinking and in their foolish hearts Were darkened. You see, when man looks at the general revelation of God in creation and says to himself, as it says in the psalm in Psalm 13, there is no God, the Bible says that person is a fool. Just this week, we saw these glorious pictures from this new telescope out in space of these. Vast, far regions of space and how beautiful creation is. Now, if it was ever any wonder to you, beloved, the chasm between creation and creator is bigger than you and I could ever imagine. That chasm between us and God is so vast that even the most brilliant pictures taken by that telescope fails to do justice at the grandeur of who God is. And how can one look into the vastness of space and see the galaxies in their orbit, the sun, the moon, the stars, and say there is no God? It is the fool who would make such claim and affirmation. Yet we see that and we acknowledge as the psalmist did in Psalm 8 when he says, when I behold the heavens and the works of your hands, he says, what is man that you should be mindful of him? and the Son of Man that you should care for Him. We should look at the vastness and the beauty of creation and consider how small we are and how big and glorious Yahweh truly is. Yet, even with all these things, humanity continues to uh, walk in the futility of their thinking and because of the foolishness of their hearts which are dark. We see in Romans chapter 1 as well, verses 28, it says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, referring to the Gentiles who, who do not receive the revelation of God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. This is the condition of one who rejects God's general revelation, and even more specifically, the revelation of God in Christ through his word. Verse 29 says, and they were filled of all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree... That those who practice such things deserve to die, not, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Is that not the day and time that we're living in? More now than ever before, where we're seeing things such as the sins that are listed here, not only practiced, but approved of by the world and by its institutions? We can't even define what a woman is anymore. We can't even define truth anymore. The world has gone mad. And it is what Scripture tells us is true of the condition of humanity that they have been given over to a debased mind. That they, they do not practice what ought to be done, but they practice what ought not to be done. That they are full of all types of slander, evil. They're haters of God. Just look at the culture. And if you have a preacher of righteousness standing outside an abortion clinic, as we tend to do here at our church. And what do they say? They begin to misalign God, His character, His people. They begin to slander the most holy name of Jesus and they trample on the Holy One Himself. And they give approval to those who practice such wickedness and iniquity. Beloved, remember that the truth of our condition is that we are fragile that at any point, humanity as a whole can be and will be handed over to even more depths of wickedness and depravity. And it is this futility that Paul warns us to walk away from, to walk in a new way of living, to walk and live differently, to receive the upward call of Christ Jesus. Back in our main text in Ephesians chapter 4, we notice and we see how the Apostle Paul brings attention to this truth of the new creation by pointing us towards the person and work of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 20, but this is not the way you learned Christ. This is not the way you learned Christ. If you're following in today's teaching, please write in the following, we learned a new way of life by the truth. Notice what it says in verse 21 as well. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And so what I want you to write in there is we learned a new way of life by the truth that is in Jesus. Again, the world, we can't even define truth anymore. You know, I once housed a college student who was majoring in philosophy. And, uh, and this was one of the most difficult futile discussions I've ever had was talking philosophy with a philosophy major where she contended that there was nothing there was no such thing as objective truth and that all things were subjective and yet as I pressed her on this subject of truth whether it's subjective or objective I said so two plus two can be three then she said yeah it can be it can be three And I said, okay, well, let's apply that logic to your line of work. If you're owed a wage and your boss says, well, I know I owe you $100, but I'm going to give you $50 and let's just call it $100. You probably wouldn't fly with that, would you? That wouldn't really be some type of subjective truth to you. You would want your $100 in your pocket and not be ripped off. Because truth has implications, therefore truth matters. And friends, there's no greater truth than the truth that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus said this of himself in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus makes an exclusive claim to truth. That not only does he possess truth, not only does he share truth, not only does he say truth, not not only does he preach truth, but he is the truth. He is the truth. The truth is not simply something philosophical in the mind, but rather has become embodied in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the truth. And therefore, Paul can say, we have not learned this from Christ, We have not learned this way from Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. All truth is from Christ and in Christ. All objective truth has a foundation, a sure foundation. And it is the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ to whom be glory. And so we know and realize this to be true. That in Jesus, we have learned a new way of living. No longer walking according to the hardness of our hearts. Not, no longer clinging to the old nature of Adam. But now we get to walk in the newness of life as children of the Most High God. And because of this, we acknowledge also what is written for us. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, notice what God's Word says. To put off your old self. Notice the imperative here. After we have learned this truth that is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. See, as Christians, we still, although we have been given a new nature, we've been given a new heart, we also still contend with the flesh. And as long as we are in this body, in this flesh, on this side of eternity we will still struggle with sin. What I preach to you is not a legalism that says you must be perfect in every way and God will approve of you and God will love you. Here's the truth. God does love you. God does approve of you in his beloved son, Jesus. There's nothing that we can merit of our own, of our own nature, of our own works, our own doing. God's love for us is truly unconditional, but that love ought to change us, ought to motivate us, ought to empower us. As I used the analogy earlier of a married couple, the love that a man and woman encounter and live and enjoy ought to change that person. So that you're no longer thinking like a single one, like a single person, but now your priorities, your way of living, your desires have changed. They've changed. Because that's what love does. Love changes you. Love motivates you. It also begins to uh, mold you into a new way. And in this life that we live now, we are being molded by the Spirit of God to become more and more like jesus isn't that phenomenal that our hope is not to be like we were but that we are now becoming more and more like jesus now i get it if we were to map our lives on a chart on a graph there would be ups and there'd be downs not the whole life of sanctification of holiness and of righteousness is not one of just being uh, shot straight up to the sky but instead it is progressive we are progressively being changed, being molded into the image of our Creator, into the image of Christ. And it is a process. Here's something that I do personally as introspection is every September, I got saved on this, uh, September 22nd in 2008, and I always kind of do, around that time, uh, a, a spiritual inventory of myself. I like to reflect and think, have I grown over the last 12 months have I grown in holiness? Have I sinned less? Have I become more like Jesus? Am I loving people more authentically? Am I reading the scriptures? Am I growing in him? Am I rooted in him? I ask myself these questions. For the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, test yourselves to see whether you are in the faith, or do you not recognize just about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test. And so one should examine himself or herself under the light of Scripture every year, every day, every month and consider, am I growing in holiness? And that's a wonderful opportunity to also, not just to to, uh, check all the boxes of righteousness and holiness and sanctification in our lives, but it also helps us to reflect on where we are falling short and where we need to mature and where we need to surrender. And where we need to come to God's word and to God's people and to the pastors and say, I need help in this area. I want to grow in holiness and righteousness in these areas. Not because I'm trying to gain God's approval, but because I have it. And because I have his approval, I know I ought to live differently and be different. And so remember where Christ has saved you from. You're no longer a Gentile walking in the futility of your mind. You have now been called to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. That is our glorious inheritance in the future. Therefore, again, why Paul says to put off the old self. If you're following along in the teaching, the second to last one. In Christ, we put off the old self, which belongs to our former life and deceitful desires. You see, in Romans 13, 14, it gives us a very powerful tool in our fight against sin and a tool for our sanctification. Romans 13, 14 says, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. To put on Christ and make no provision. That is to say that as a Christian, we ought to daily pick up our cross and follow him. We ought to daily recognize that we have to put off the old self, its old practices, and to put on Christ so that we can become like him, so we can become more like Jesus. And making no provision for the flesh, which is also to say that oftentimes in our our deceitful desires, in our deceitful nature, uh, we as humans, we prepare ourselves for sin. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that we make provision to facilitate our sin. Whether it be pornography and individuals who uh, are not accountable and, 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 and you know, they, they close, they're behind closed doors and, and they have just the right provisions to facilitate that sin. Whether it's adultery and those who, who facilitate uh, the, the, the eye and the heart of another and it facilitates that and it grows and becomes a gross immoral sin, humans will make provision for that which they desire in their heart. May your desire be Christ. That you desire Christ more than you desire sin. That you desire the pleasures of knowing him rather than the pleasures of this fleeting world. That Christ would be all sufficient for you because he is all-sufficient. And that in the pursuit of Christ, you make no provision for the acts and the works of the flesh, but that you put on Christ. You put on the new creation. And if we do sin, brethren, there is still good news for us. For while we are still in this world, we will still contend with sin. And if we sin, there is the righteous one, our advocate with the Father, even the Lord Jesus Christ who stands ready to forgive us our sins, to empower us, to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we can walk in the power and newness of life as promised in the gospel. And so we put off the old self and its deceitful desires. Paul closes this thought in verse 23 and 24 by saying this, after he says to put off the old self and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Look at the beauty that God is calling us to, to abandon self, to abandon the old way of living and its practices and its deceitfulness and to put on that which we have learned from Christ for the truth is in Christ and this—that that is to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. One of the things that the devil attacks is the mind. He weakens us by speaking lies to us, as he did in the garden to Adam and Eve. Notice the tactic of the serpent in the garden. When God told Adam and Eve, he gave his decree and his law of what is good and what is not good, what is to be enjoyed and what is not to be enjoyed, and Satan comes into the picture and he says, did God really say that? He begins to question God's word. He began to infiltrate the mind of Eve. And she was taken astray by the cunningness, deceitfulness of the enemy. And was led astray from the simplicity of the gospel of Christ. The simplicity of God's decree. You see, following God is not all that complicated. He's given us a book. And in this book, he tells us what is expected of us. He kind of gives us a list of do's and do nots. You may have heard of them, called the Ten Commandments. This is what you ought to do. This is what you ought not to do. And yet, God's law, God's decree to Adam and Eve was simple. Enjoy life. Worship me. Go and subdue and multiply. But do not partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan and his deceptiveness comes into the picture and begins to speak lies, begins to cast doubt into the authenticity of God's word by saying, did God really say? And he begins to lead astray, even those of us today, with the same tactics of attacking the mind. Which is why, as Christians, we are called to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, to fortify it, to empower it, to speak truth to our own heart and mind by the word of God. You see, God's word is a protection for us. Notice when Satan tries to tempt the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what Jesus does in rebuttal to the devil. It is not to go along with his line of questioning, but it is to use God's word as a defense. Because Satan comes into the picture and he begins to say to Jesus, he says, he says, the word of God says that he will protect you. So throw yourself off the ledge and he will send his angels to command over you. And yet, Christ seeing past the deception, having been fortified in his own mind with the word of God, he quotes scripture and he rebukes the devil. Friends, may we learn to not only learn the Scriptures, but to live it. That it becomes such a protection for the mind that we can withstand all the fiery darts of the enemy, stand tall and strong with the shield of faith and the armor of God, the armor that God provides, and standing firm for battle, even with the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. May you be empowered to do so, but you can only do so by living as the new man and the new woman that God created you to be. Verse 24 says, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The last part of the teaching being renewed in our spirit. We put on the new self that is created, uh, that is created after the image, and I'll fill that last part in a second here. But I want you to realize this truth that is so important to us this morning that you have been made new. Therefore, live as a new person. In other words, out with the old, in with the new. Live as new creations. Live as if God has purchased you from that former way of living and its former conducts. And be empowered to live in a new way of life. Because you are being created after the image of our Creator. If you can, turn to Colossians chapter 3 to see a parallel of what Paul is saying to the church in Colossae. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. The Apostle Paul tells this church a similar thing. And he says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, with its practices, and hath put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge after the image of its Creator. So God, uh, through the Apostle Paul, tells the church to not lie to another, to one another, not to pursue deceitfulness, not to pursue the impulse of the flesh to be a son of their, of of Satan, the devil, but instead to be sons of God, by putting off the old self of its practices. And putting on the new self, which is being renewed, as Paul says to the church in, um, in Ephesus, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In this case, he's saying being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The last part I want you to write in there is creator. Being renewed in our spirit, we put on the new self that is created after the image of our creator. And how exactly does that happen? How are we fashioned after the image of our creator? Jesus made it plain in John chapter 3. In verse 3, he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. He says, do not marvel, that I tell you? For that which is flesh is flesh. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, that in the flesh there is no way you can please God. You are subject to the futility of your mind and your darkened heart in the flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's why Jesus says, Is that marvel that I tell you, you must be born again? And and, and poor Nicodemus, puzzled and marveled at this, saying, what, what do you suppose I do, Jesus? That I crawl back into my mother's room and come out again. I don't understand what you're saying. And yet the implication was clear. Just as assuredly as you have had a physical birth, mine happens to be April 19, you also are commanded to have a spiritual birth, to be born spiritually. And this is what it means to be born again. And without it, without entrance into this new birth, the Bible says you cannot see the kingdom of God. There is no other way of salvation other than this, to know and confess the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and King. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is no name under heaven given among men by which we may be saved other than the name of Jesus. It shall be said and done at the end of human history that the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, this scene will happen that every creature, every person who's ever lived, On earth, heaven, under the earth, in the sea, and all that is in them shall bow before the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and they shall confess Jesus Christ is Lord, even to the glory of God the Father. May you make it your aim today to bow willingly before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that you may know him today while it is still called today. And do not harden your hearts as in the days of rebellion, but instead that you would come to the feet of the Savior and know that He gives life and gives it abundantly to those who profess Him and those who decide to walk in Him and to be new creatures and new creations. Beloved, you must be born again. And if you've not been born again, the Bible says very clearly that if thou confess of thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Confession with mouth and belief in the heart is what leads to salvation. So may you know Him today, confessing your sins, knowing that you're a sinner, knowing that you are in need of a great Savior, and that this Savior not only delivers you from the wrath to come, but He prepares you for the glory ahead. And by doing so, He gives you, he gives you His Spirit to live in you, to empower you, to make you new. So may it be, out with the old and in with the new. For the words that shall come from the throne of God at the end of history, we see in Revelation chapter 20 and 21, is behold, I am making all things new. May we do so even today. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope that you've given us, for the treasure that lies within, that we truly can be called sons and daughters of God, Because you have given us the gift of new birth, you've empowered us by your spirit to walk differently, no longer in the futility of our minds, no longer according to the darkened nature of our heart. But instead, Lord, as was promised through the prophet Ezekiel, you have given us a heart of flesh, no longer of stone. You have given us a new heart that desires you, that shall eventually lead to the resurrection of our own bodies. We pray, God, that you would help us to see the glory and the majesty of the gospel of Jesus, even in the midst of our own trials, even in the midst of hardship, that we would confess with great joy and with great earnestness the power of God to save and to transform. As the word of God says, that if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. May we receive this truth today. May we walk in it. Be rooted in it, established in it. We bless you, Lord Jesus. Come swiftly and come quickly. In your name we pray, amen.